0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this morning's sermon. Uh, Since we're in the studio, Ed was uh, kind enough to welcome me into the message again, because we had so much fun doing it two weeks ago. Yes. So thanks for having me back. Welcome back. Thanks so much. Uh, So this morning we are chatting about humility as part Mm -hmm. of our experience of learning about compassion. Yeah. So where are we starting on that today?
1: I learned a little something about humility back in the... uh... Well, probably a long time ago. (laughs) I've been learning a lot about it over the years, but I learned uh, something about humility and church life back in the 80s, 90s. There were a lot of books being written at that time about church growth because many people were noticing that the church was in a massive state of decline, and uh, these books tended to follow the same plot line. Now, they, they did have wonderful advice and counsel to offer, but they also seemed to suggest that that churches that were going to grow had to have certain ingredients. For example, like a certain size parking lot. That that appeared in many of these books, which was really bad news for churches that had really, really small parking lots, or in the case of my church in New Hampshire, a lousy parking lot that was basically dirt that turned into mud for most of the spring season. So, But anyway, that was part of what they said. And then uh, sanctuaries had to be air-conditioned. That was, that was a must. Round Hill Community Church was on the cutting edge on that one. Nice. Um, And then these books also indicated to churches that in order to grow, they would need to create what came to be called a cafeteria-style church uh, designed to meet all the various spiritual hungers of the people who would come to their doors looking for spiritual vitality. And uh, I found and read some of the church brochures that were published at that time um, by churches that were trying to be cafeteria style churches. And when I read them, they looked like the menus at those diners that have about 137 entrees. And you wonder, how do they make all that food possible? Right? So churches were trying to live up to that standard. Mm-hmm. So When I was the pastor of a church in Hartford, I met a woman who came to the congregation uh, to my bruised and battered urban church looking for a new church home, Mm -hmm. and she and her family had just moved from Philadelphia and they were attending this enormous, affluent suburban church. So here they came to us, right? And um, when she looked at our weary church school classrooms, she told me that the church school classrooms at her former congregation in suburban Philadelphia came equipped with computer monitors for every single child oh my gosh. in the church school.
0: Most actual schools don't have that.
1: Yes. <laughs> this was exactly my thought. There were there are public schools in Hartford that were not as well equipped as her church right. in Philadelphia. Right. Right. And so, you know, here here this is how children were learning church school lessons on individualized computers and i will never forget she looked at me and she said how are you going to compete with that and i guess i felt great in that moment because i said we couldn't possibly compete with that and we don't want to this is not what we were trying to create as a congregation. So we didn't have a great parking lot. We didn't have air conditioning. We didn't have individual computers, right? right? But we had people who were looking to grow in their faith.
0: Yeah. It makes me think about, is your church, what's your priority? Right. Are you trying to be a Starbucks? Right. You know, are we trying to be a church? And what does that mean?
1: Yep. Yep. What's our highest aspiration for one another, yeah. right, in our, com- in our community? Right. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I realized at that time, there's no way that we as a congregation could offer an array of programs to meet everyone's, you know, unique spiritual hungers. But the more that I read those books, the more that I studied this, there's one thing i realized, and that is that churches uh, that grow do have at least one thing in common, and that is that more than anything else, they want to bring forth from every single member of their congregations, whatever gifts they have for compassion, service, wisdom, joy. That's really their mission to, to bring forth all of those gifts into the full light of day right? And uh, I've been thinking a little bit about how that kind of growth has been happening at Round Hill Community Church over the last 20 months. Mm. So one of our members started a book group based on Karen Armstrong's book, 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life. That book group is meeting at a cafe in downtown Greenwich, a coffee for good. So that's a new adventure. We have an amazing reopening the campus committee that's been looking after our, our welfare and our well-being during 20 months, people bringing forth right their gifts to care for others and doing that. We have yeah. a congregational care team. Uh, our buildings committee, along with the board of trustees, has created a vision and a plan to add solar panels to our campus, an amazing innovation that would cover all of our electricity needs. Um and, and just the other day I had a conversation with one person in our congregation. We were reflecting on COVID and what it's like to live in a pandemic. And just at the at the conclusion of the conversation, he said, Let me know how I can help. Amazing. Right. So yeah. all of these ways are are indicating that I think we're creating the right kind of community space for people and their gifts.
0: And I think it's, it's, it speaks to the, the power and the health and the vitality of our community that we have so many people bringing new ideas to the fold. Right. At a time mm-hmm. when we can be feeling tired or worn down. And then we have people bringing energy. Right. And dare I say, excitement to projects. Um, and that feels so good and so refreshing yeah. to be part of.
1: Yeah. It reminds me, Leslie, of a comment that someone shared with me early on in my ministry, and I can't remember who said this to me, but uh, he, he provided me with a definition of the church that has really stayed with me over the years. He said, the church is a demonstration plot for the kingdom of God really really love this That's right cool. it's a place where we demonstrate what the world would look like if the love of god had has soaked through every Ounce of the universe, right? Mm-hmm. If that compassion and that joy and that peace were part of our lives all the time. And the church, its calling is really to be a demonstration plot for that. And one thing that's become really clear to me is that we we will never grow into that fullness if we're not exploring the power of humility. And that's why um, I shared this quote from Brene Brown, someone who's a very who is a great favorite person for us, a real, a real wise person these days who through her writings and her presentations and teachings has taught us so much about the power of vulnerability, but she has this great comment where she says, no one cares how much, you know, until they know how much you care, right? It's that spirit of humility that's really approaching the world from the standpoint of how can, I, how can I be of service to this world? How can I make a difference to the world? And uh, I had shared with you, Leslie, that recently a very good friend of mine died. His name was Bud Thompson. He was 99 years old, founder of the Mount Kearsarge Indian Museum in Warner, New Hampshire. And he was an extraordinarily humble man. At his memorial service, one person after another spoke about him, and they all said that he had the capacity to bring forth something in them that they didn't really even know that they had. And it takes a humble person, right, who who clears that space and creates that invitation so that we feel like we can have the courage and the vulnerability to bring forth the best of who we are. So that's, I think, what the church— can really do. And I see how the ways in which, you know, Jesus modeled that spirit of humility and uh, brought that not only to his disciples, but to the wider world. He listened. He allowed people to challenge him. um, He elevated others. He told people that uh, his disciples in particular, that they would do greater things than he had done. So I think this is all the all the power of humility that we need in a world that feels quite often like it's polarized Mm -hmm. and that feels very strident and aggressive at times. Maybe this is the power that can help to, to bring an alternative.
0: It brings to mind something that I feel like you, you inspire a lot, which is this um, perspective of a beginner, this Mm -hmm. amateur enthusiasm. Right, which I, is which is. I'd
1: love to be associated with that. Yeah, yeah. I, no,
0: and I feel like we talk about this on the podcast Roundtable Radio. Shout out mm-hmm. um, that we talk about this a lot. That that there is something beautiful to putting yourself in the place of of a beginner. of mm. not assuming what you know of 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 that excitement to learn or that excitement to dive into something. I think there's a choice in that. I think there's a beautiful humility Mm. to that as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love the fact that you indicate that there's a choice because now sometimes that kind of openness, that beginner's mind can happen just as a gracious moment in life, right? But sometimes we can plan it. Um, I recall the story of a church, and I'm forgetting... the, the city in which this took place. But there was a church that, again, was declining. They couldn't find a way to grow. And so they sent out a postcard to every single household in their zip code. And they said, it looks like we may have to close our doors, you know, after all of these years of being present in that neighborhood. But before we do so, we we're reaching out to you, the neighbors, the community, do you have any ideas about what we could do in the future i thought that was first of all it took vulnerability and here was a church admitting that it was coming close to the end of its journey but not quite to the end and sure enough the neighbors came and said first of all we we don't want to see this building close it'll really damage the morale of our neighborhood so they wound up creating they they changed the interior space in a dramatic way and it then became the home for i believe four or five congregations christian congregations and one synagogue Hmm. and they all shared that space together it became a kind of community center all it, it all came because the church was willing to be humble enough to say we need your help we've kind of reached the end of our you know our our thinking here so help us to find that beginner's mind again and um I I came across a great story this past week from Paul, the writer, Paul Theroux, who's a great travel writer. He's also the author of a novel, The Mosquito Coast, which has now come out on one of the television streaming services. And um, so someone asked him recently, what's the secret to good travel writing? And he said, to be patient, to have humility, and to know that other people are more interesting than you are. Hmm. Right? So it's that sense that we look out at others and think, I wonder what they know. I wonder what kinds of questions they're asking. You know, what insights do they have that, that we need in order to be more fruitful and productive in our lives? And I think that spirit of humility is what helps to bring a spirit of compassion into the world. Right? It's, it's looking at others not through eyes of judgment, but through eyes of an abundant graciousness.
0: Do you think there's also a connection <clears throat> between humility and curiosity?
1: Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, grave connection.
0: It sounds like they're kind of joined together because I feel like curiosity comes from wanting to know and wanting to learn and, and wanting to hear and listen. Yes. And it sounds like they're kind of joined together in in a person
1: yeah yeah that's a great connection there's a a quote that i um came across when i was preparing this message from the writer c.s lewis he said humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less right? So that again, it's, it's being more curious about the other person than we might be about ourselves. I mean, it's good to be curious about ourselves too. That's self-compassion. But the journey doesn't end with self-compassion. It includes compassion for others. And I do think there's a tremendous connection. And maybe that's really a very important component of compassion. Compassion is always asking the question, what's going on in that other person's life i feel like i want to judge them i feel like i want to be angry at them but what what's generating that that circumstance in them that makes me want to react that way and if i can be curious enough maybe i won't react with anger i'll respond with love and imagination and i think that really that's the ministry of jesus that's what he was able to bring into his experience you know don't pay attention to the speck in your neighbor's eye. Take a good long look at the log in your own eye.
0: Yeah. And that idea of, of reacting, I feel like that's right now very, um, a lot of us are living in this sort of reactive yes. time and pausing and thinking and listening, coming from a place of humility and curiosity feels um, like a sea a shift. Yes. Like that's a big, a big difference in how to approach Interactions with others.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the good news, Leslie, is we have that model in Jesus. We've, we've probably know each other or know from moments in our own lives that we're capable of bringing that humility to bear. And, um, as the poet T.S. Eliot once said, humility is endless, so we can never use it up. It's always there to help us be a force for good. Blessings.